Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Mage Wars Mondays. My name is Rick with Let's Level Up, and today I am joined, as always, by my partners in crime. Well, not as always, but thankfully we're all back together for the first time in a while. So <laughs> I am Scott Morris. I am Vice President of Business Development at Arcane Wonders, and I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> and I'm Aaron Brosman. I'm community manager slash designer at Arcane Wonders, and we're getting the band back together. <laughs> Cue guitar riff. I know, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like to think that even though one of us may not be here, we're always together in spirit. Um, at least I like to think so, you know? Well, I talk to Aaron every day whether we're on a podcast or not, so. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Guys, I have I have a bit of a conundrum. Um, I I like to to uh, tout myself as a as a decent Mage Wars player. Um, I, I like to pummel my friends within the arena as much as I can. However, I played a mage for the first time last weekend, and I just got completely creamed. And I'm hoping I can rely on my two good buddies here, and uh, maybe even some of the community as well, to tell me just exactly what did I do wrong with the druid. Now, I played the stock book, and just, um, it, let me preface this also saying my my rolls were abysmal the whole night, so that may have had something to do with it. But how does a new player play the druid? You know, what are some good starting strategies? How can I not lose next time I play? <laughs> Roll better. Roll better. <laughs> that's, that's usually the answer. That's usually the answer, I think. Um, if you ever uh, ask my brother uh, my thoughts on, on games and stuff, one thing always comes to the top. As I always tell him, I'd rather be lucky than good. But yeah. as I can't guarantee I'm going to be lucky, no um, doubt. I'll actually try. Um, but apart from that... Uh, the, the biggest thing about the druid is she's got a lot of moving parts, mm -hmm. and she does a lot of stuff. Um, so there's a lot of cards to look at and a lot of cards to understand so you can see just how she actually plays out in practice. Because um, when you look at the individual pieces, um, you don't always see the whole picture. I mean, it's, it's not like the priestess where um, what she wants to accomplish is very obvious. And it's, oh, I want to... You know, I want to heal things, and I want to support troops, you know, so I should just put troops out. Um, obviously, there's more to it than that, but um, but the druid is, like, you look at it, and it's like, oh, well, I have vines, and I like plants, and I like a tree, and there's all these things moving together, and so you you have to look and see what she can actually accomplish in the big picture and see how all of her stuff interacts with that, because she... More than a lot of the other mages, she very much, uh, she very much needs uh, interaction between her various abilities to get her to actually work appropriately. Interesting. Yeah, I think the hardest thing for a new player to, or, or let me rephrase that, the best way for a new player with the druid to get started is start to understand tree bond. Um, you know, the the vines are very tricky to get used to. But tree bond is a not necessarily a fairly straightforward ability. Um, but for anyone who's not familiar with it, it says that when a friendly tree conjuration comes into play, you may choose to bond with it. You place a tree bond marker on it, and you, the druid, gains innate life plus four and channel plus one. 
<clears throat> excuse me, and the tree gains innate life plus four, armor plus one, and life bond plus two. And if the tree's destroyed, then the marker's destroyed, and it's gone. It's it's not like you can tree bond with another tree on your your uh, your playing field. So when I when I first started with the druid, I was really intimidated by the druid. And I'll be very very open about that. I mean, there's a lot lot happening with the druid, like Aaron said. Um, but that was the way I started, was I just started looking at the tree conjurations on the online spellbook builder, and I personally started with the vine tree, um, because it seemed the most logical, because it was, okay, it's a tree conjuration, it's, uh, you know, fairly inexpensive, and it's going to immediately start helping me get more vines out. The tricky thing is then learning how to best use your vines, so, but if, uh, if I was a, a new player, I would definitely suggest people... Pick a tree that you like. Um, you know, it, it, it could be the Samara tree. It could be the Vine tree. A couple different options in there. There's, you know, of course, Moktari. Uh, Moktari is amazing uh, with the Druid. So there, there's a lot of different options for you out there. Um, I think one of the favorite ones I've seen people put out is the Ethereum Life Tree and bonding with it. Um, the Ethereum Life Tree is already pretty crazy on its own um, where it regenerates two and all other living creatures and conjurations gain innate life plus two and since of course most plants are living they're going to gain that innate life plus two and you'd be amazed how hard it is to kill things with a little extra you know, one or two life in there so there's a couple of different options you can build a strategy around from those trees and starting there is always a, a good place to start I think now I was I was gonna pick the Ethereum Life Tree. I ended up going with the, the way you went, Scott, and picking the Vine Tree. I really like the Ethereum Life Tree, except for I didn't like the wording on the card. All other living creatures. Does that mean it's gonna <laughs> you don't buff? Want to help your opponent? Exactly. Is that so? Is that kind of uh, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul type thing? If I'm gonna buff my opponent, what's the sense of buffing myself at the same time? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think the biggest thing is that, and, and Aaron will definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but in my opinion, your opponents don't plan on it. And while you are giving their living creatures innate life plus two, uh, they're not always necessarily planned to take advantage of that additional plus two, whereas mm -hmm. you may be. Uh, some of the things, some of the basic things that I see people like to do with Ethereum Life Tree is they, they put Ethereum Life Tree out. Uh, and a little bit of uh, bull endurance uh, on their creatures, make them a little harder to kill, um, give them a little more health with some different enchantments and things like that, and make them harder to hit. So they they put the life tree out, but then they are they have a backup plan to make their creatures more stout or more sturdy. Um, your opponents definitely get the extra two life, but there's different ways to handle that. You know, you could put out alliance savagery on one of your creatures. You could put out uh, bear strength on one of your creatures and start to roll more dice against them so you're going to mitigate some of the stuff that's happening with them. And the other thing too quite frankly is the Ethereum life tree is great in my opinion to throw into a spell book for a druid even if you only put one copy in because it's only on level two for a nature spell um, but being able to have that in there in case you go up against a necromancer yeah, or was, you go up against just a about to say with that. undead creatures because it's all other living creatures and conjurations. And most of our dark friends, while they are awesome and they are cool, are usually <laughs> not living. <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking of that just be a necrobane if you had it just in the pocket there. But, um, for instance, I was going against the uh, Malachi Priest, um, and the guy that I was playing was really heavy on Knights of Westlock and Brogan. He really liked those melee guys, and he supported those with Royal Archers. 
Um, so the thought of giving those more life was a really scary proposition. So again, I went to the vine tree. Um, so unless Aaron, you want to add anything to the tree conversation, I'd like to talk about vines for oh, a sure. second as well. Um, I do think that the biggest, the, the first thing when you're working with the druid is picking which tree you want to use because that's going to determine your strategy. I mean, obviously, you can totally include a like a separate tree for specific situations, but you you want to like like we've said before, you want to have a plan, and so you know finding the tree you like is a is a good start. That's mm -hmm. that's definitely where the druid wants to go. Um, the biggest thing with the Ethereum life tree is if your opponent only has a couple of creatures, then he's getting, you know, uh, plus two life on a couple of creatures. And that's good, um, but odds are, you know, if you want to, you could summon more than him. And you also have living conjuration, so you have more things that are going to take advantage of it, hopefully. Um, the other thing is... Uh, if your opponent is running tons of creatures, like if you're playing against a, um, a Straywood Beastmaster, uh, you don't want to use a, uh, Ethereum Life Tree because you don't want to have to, you know, get two extra damage on every creature he summons, sure. uh, which he's probably going to get a fair number more than you. Um, now, as already noted, uh, against the Necromancer, it's a pretty solid card. Um, against, I, I actually really like it against uh, the Warlock, um, simply because whenever I play against a Warlock, unless I can, unless I can get them on the defensive, they're going to be coming after my tree, and I don't use it as the tree bond, but I I play it to give my my tree two extra health. Um, I, I would definitely say that under most circumstances, um, you're going to want to play either the Samara tree or the Vine tree uh, because they're going to give you the most options. And a lot of times the Vine tree, the Vine tree is definitely the, the easiest one to get working. Um, he does a lot of things for you that you want, um, you know, helping you get extra vine markers, um, you know, helping you cast extra spells. So he's he's very helpful, and he's pretty straightforward. So a, a lot of times when you're starting with the druid, that's where I would start, um, because if you if you understand how to get the vine tree working, then you'll see what you can do uh, with the rest of the druid as well. Okay, that makes sense. Um, let's let's talk about vines, right? So the, the druid has an ability called Spreading Vines, and it says during the deployment phase, you may place a vine marker in a zone. Whenever you or an object you control casts a vine spell, you may target a zone containing a friendly vine marker or target an object in that zone or a border of that zone and then destroy that marker. Now, the way I read this is that basically I could use these vines to summon vine uh, conjurations or creatures and stuff like that and basically get my plants out and spread them around the arena um, as long as I could move my druid into that type of zone or get closer there. 
So I went in really aggressively and just spread vines all over the arena, but got a little too close to the knights and ended up just taking too much damage before I could really mount an offense. So um, let's talk about vines for a second. What are, what are some of the things that you guys like to do with the vines, and, and how have you seen it played um, with other people? Are they, are they as aggressive, or do they just use that to build up a really strong defense, or how does it work? <laughs> um Let's see. What's the favorite thing to do with with vines? Um, blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my, a great ability. My favorite thing to do with vines is, you know, rouse the beast on Kralathor on like turn three. You know, drop him on their head because he's a giant vine creature. Yeah, Kralathor <laughs> is the best. I mean, when you look at the all the vine creatures, he's amazing. Aaron and I played a game um, together. Uh, we play on Skype every once in a while, and we were playtesting Domination. And he played uh, a druid, and I played a druid. And they were very different. Um, his was very much... I don't want to say solo druid, but it was minimal minimal creatures. I think you only had, like, raptor vines and Kralathor. It was super I, aggro. Was... Like, everything had to be, like, really useful. Like, yeah. there was no... There was no, oh, I'll play a few extra creatures. No, it was every creature <laughs> had to had to work. <laughs> and Kralathor, it was it was like a race to get Kralathor out. Um, Kralathor is pretty nasty. Yeah, and just for but those people who as... don't know, uh, Kralathor is the Devourer. is a plant creature level 4. Um, he's got 1 natural armor, 13 health. He's got 4... Uh, for his quick strike, Great Maw attack, which has reached the Devour ability and gets plus two versus Undead. And he naturally regenerates two, which is really awesome. So, and just the, just the ability for him to get growth and get stronger as the game goes on, is it makes him just very, very nasty. He's also the bane of existence for a Necromancer. Um, you know, the fact that he gets plus two dice versus Undead and the fact that he gets a growth marker every time he devours a corporal creature, even though they may be undead, they're still corporal. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, um, for a necromancer, he sees that thing, and, and that that's one of the few things that can strike fear into a necromancer. He is legendary, of course, so if I drop a Kralathor, my opponent's not dropping a Kralathor until he's getting rid of mine. So um, he's pretty cool. Um, and there's, ironically... Kralathor has a uh, ability that I think is really unique for him um, that really makes him even more monstrous, which is the Hydro Immunity. There's a lot of people that I see that play with some low-level water spells that will, you know, do some pretty nasty things to people just from movement, you know, moving mm -hmm. people around like with Geyser or Jetstream and things like that. And the fact that he's got the Hydro Immunity is a really nice kind of defense against that stuff, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I like the I just like the theme behind Kralathor that he's just an undead eating machine because what what do the dead do? They <laughs> they feed the plants at the end of the day. And it's just it's really neat. And now, the, in my opinion, the the my favorite vine um creature uh to to you know blow up a vine and, and bring something out with is the raptor vine. Um I think yeah. uh mana wise, you know, curve costs, he's really or she, I don't know, I haven't picked up the leaf to see what's underneath, but uh <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Um you're spending nine mana for a zero armor, ten health creature that rolls five dice naturally. 
plus it has vampiric, which means it's going to heal half that damage. So if I do 10 damage, I'm healing 5 life. Um, now, it's rooted, so you have to be able to pay 1 mana to uproot it. So it's not going to move without you paying mana to, to activate it and move it. But on a side of the vampiric, it also has the hydra immunity. Of course, it's a plant, so it's got flame plus two, which is nasty, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second from, I'm sure, from a druid, from a, a weakness perspective. But it also has regenerate one on it. So even if you don't get a ton of damage in on your five dice attack, you're regenerating one health every turn. And as long as you can continue to generate enough mana to pay for your uproots of multiple raptor vines, those guys can become really, really nasty. I th I think a raptor vine is like raptor vine is definitely my favorite creature, but part of that is also because when when Brian and I were first talking about druid necro, um, I was like, this is the creature I want. I want Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. That's what I want. <laughs> um, and he had already made a creature like that, and he's like, what you mean like this? And I'm like, exactly. Let's go with that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but um. It's a the Raptor Vine is an excellent example of things you have to keep in mind with the Druid because you when you look at him it's a nine cost creature with ten health it's got you know a five dice melee attack um, it's got vampiric it's got regenerate like it's got all these things that make it seem like it's an unstoppable juggernaut. But if you hang it out there by itself, it will die. Yes. <laughs> it will yes. die super quick. Um, and that's part of the thing with the druid, is you think, oh my gosh, I got all these, all these great creatures. They're fantastic. Um, and I'm just going to smash you with them. Well, you still have to support them. And that's where, that's where being a nature mage comes in really helpful, because... A raptor vine needs rhino hide. Otherwise, it just dies. Um, the number of times I've I've cast a raptor vine and not been able to get a, a rhino hide on it, just about every time that happens, they die. Because people are not going to let that sit around. They're not going to go, oh, well, I'll put some damage on you, and then next turn you can just attack me and gain the health back. Not... So that's the one of the biggest things with the druid is even her creatures they always need something like Kralathor at when you first drop him out he's actually fairly vulnerable one armor 13 health like that's fairly vulnerable but if when you drop him out he's able to kill someone that turn well now he's 16 health that's way better. Mm -hmm. Or you drop him out and you get a rhino on him. Oh, three armor with regenerate two. That's way better. All of her creatures are really good at something, but they need support to make them work. Um, and and the raptor vine is is in my opinion the biggest example of that because he seems like he seems like he's all good to go. But he needs he needs to be able to stay alive long enough to take advantage of the fact that he's really hard to kill, which is kind of ironic. But if you don't give him something to help his survivability, 
then he dies super fast. If you give him something, he stays alive forever. It's it's a crazy it's a crazy line there. And that brings up a good point because one to me one of the best cards that's like a staple for the druid. Like if you don't run this card in your druid spellbook, then you're doing something wrong. I think is the enchanter's ring because there's so many good enchantments that you want to add to those creatures to make them better or make them you know more sturdy. I guess the enchanter's ring is so cheap at two mana, um, and you get to pay one less mana when you cast an enchantment spell that targets a friendly creature. You're going to be doing that quite a bit when you get your guys out there. So I think that that is something that goes very well along with all of this in terms of, you know, when you when you set up in the first turn or two, getting that out there to be able to plan to say, okay, I'm not just going to bring out these beefy, nasty plants. I'm going to make them monstrous, and I'm going to make them better than what they are. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. The, um, the, this, the starting book that's in the Druid versus Necro uh, rules doesn't have very many enchantments in there. So when I... When I just played that stock book, I was actually taking it back. I think it has bark skin and something else, okay. and of course, bark skin's just for the druid. Um, so I was, I was like, oh wow, not even a, not even a bear strength or a rhino hide. Interesting. Um, and then of <laughs> course, uh, they they met the end of Brogan's blade <laughs> every time I put them out there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like the 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 starting spell books for a druid necro. Um, they really benefit from just tweaking them with the base set. Mm -hmm. Um, they were really meant to, like, both of those mages have multiple, multiple themes to kind of go after and multiple choices to, to make and kind of, how do you want to go towards victory? Mm -hmm. And so those base spell books for them were very much meant to be, here's a bit of everything once you found the one you like, make your own book. You know, make yeah. You know, make it go for that strategy. Cut the cut the the rest of it out. Because I know that's very that's exactly how it is with the necro, and we even say so. Hey, right. You know, normally you'd want to pick, you'd want to focus heavily more heavily on one or the other. Um, and the druid is the same way. It's like, oh, what tree are you using? What strategy are you using? Now support it you know right um so she's meant to give you that kind of taste of everything yeah and that makes sense and it plays exactly like that um but that's anybody who is going into this having not played the druid before um i definitely would recommend what what scott and to mentioned you gotta have those enchantments on those creatures because while they are nice um and they're they're beefy and they have the natural regeneration a lot of them um Someone who's rolling eight dice at you, they're gonna they're gonna do- drop down, especially if it's in a fire attack, because almost all of them are gonna have the flame plus two traits. I mean, so they're gonna take additional damage potentially anytime someone does a fire based attack, which which could be really nasty if you're going against um, uh, Scott's Malachi priest or uh, <laughs> any of the warlocks out there. So just be careful, I guess, if you um, once you look over to the other side of the arena and see who you're fighting. Well, once if you're worried about that, though, there is a great card to add for the Druid that uh, is not too expensive to put in and I think is extremely valuable because burn tokens and things like that are always 
constantly going to take some time to get out there. It's not like you're dropping some giant fireball and just immediately going to town in terms of, right. you know, oh, here, here's, you know, ten burn tokens in one turn. It's going to take a couple of turns to get burn tokens out there. But if you're running into that and you're running into people who are dealing damage to you over and over again because of fire attacks, renewing rain in your spellbook is a phenomenal card for the druid to have because it targets the entire arena for nine mana and it removes all burn conditions from all objects and all friendly living objects heal two damage. Yeah. That's phenomenal. You don't have to roll. You don't have to, like, hope you get a good... good. You're going to immediately gain two health on each of your creatures. All your plants get the, the burn tokens, you know, pulled off of them. And, you know, that, that is that is a total sad face for the the warlock or the, <laughs> uh, the Malachi priest if they're, you know, getting ready to uh, ignite and combust you. So, The thing to keep in mind there is that it's a full action... Yes. Cast that spell. So whereas they can surprise you during the quick cast phase uh, and nuke you, you cannot surprise them and extinguish things. So you have to plan better than they do um, to make sure that that that's going to work well. Um, it is a very good spell, though. Um, the other way you can go is honestly, um, elemental wand is solid with the the uh the druid so you can totally just bind a uh uh wow surging wave <laughs> my brain spaced for a moment that was awesome uh you can bind a surging wave or a geyser yes. uh to it and then you can just keep putting things out now the flip side of that surging wave and geyser are both um level 1 spells and the druid is trained in level one water spells. Um, I know the druid spellbook I was playing with, I had, gosh, like four or five acid balls and like four or five surging waves. Um, I just foregoed the entire uh, wand thing, and I just put tons of copies in. Because the wand is going to cost you four spell points, so for four spell points, I could put a wand in, or I could simply put four surging waves in. Mm -hmm. So I opted for four surging waves. That makes sense. So, but she has access to all these things to put people out. Um, and so you definitely want to to pay attention to those. Um, the the biggest problem with fire is simply the extra dice rolled. Right, initially. Um, yeah, and. And so you get that extra oomph, you get that extra power right off the start. Um, the burns, as long as you don't let them stack, your regeneration is normally going to keep you in the fight, even with a burn or two on you. But the minute you let the burn outpace your regeneration, um, you're going to fold. Especially if you... Especially if you get burned and then someone goes to combust you as that attack is a flame attack and so they're going to get to roll dice, you know, two dice for every burn they removed and then they're going to get two extra free dice because you're flame plus two. Combustion is, is, some, is, is really good against a druid if you can get a couple burns on there. It's weird, because the druid is really good at removing the burns, but the minute that they let 
you know, basically three stack up, then yes, I'm going to totally, um, you know, play my combustion so that I can hit you for eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight dice. So that's just something to keep in mind there. And we kind of got on a tangent there. (laughs) No, that's good stuff. Uh, The level one water spells is something that I think that people maybe take for granted a little bit with her. Um, One of my favorite level one water spells for the Druid to run is Rust. Rust is so good uh, in terms of mana cost and, and what you're getting out of it. Some people look at it and they think, oh, well, it's just it's armor minus two. Well, like we were talking about before with the Raptor Vine and adding Rhino Hide to it and keeping it alive, armor keeps things alive, and it's that simple. Um, you know, you're going to be rolling dice, and you're going to be rolling normal numbers, and you're going to be getting those things absorbed by armor. So if you're going up against somebody that has even even just one or two armor on it, it can start to slow down your momentum. And Rust, in my opinion, is a card that can gain your momentum back. I, I just really have enjoyed playing that with the Druid. And, and I usually put three or four of them in the book because they're so inexpensive, especially with the Enchanter's Ring. Yeah, another excellent point. One, one thing that well, I really the, liked... Uh, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, the thing to keep in mind is the Enchanter's Ring only works on your creatures. That's right. That's um, true. But, but you're still saving the, your mana from the things you're putting on your creatures. And the rust being a total of four is still dirt cheap. One of the guys in the forums, uh, he had pointed out a very interesting use for rust, which I thought was pretty sweet. Um, if you get, if you end up with corrode markers on you, you reveal rust on yourself to lower your armor so that it'll remove some rust counters. And then you can use, uh, you can use, uh, enchantment transfusion or any of the spells that'll let you move an enchantment around um, and you can then place it on the thing you actually want it on oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah it was pre- he's like he's like you're not going to use this all the time because sometimes it's pretty dangerous but um, you know you can totally do that and that's that's the other thing is the druid has access to to rust and she has access to acid ball um, and I guarantee that she is going to be using one, if not both of those, because they're really good. They're really solid. Um, Acid Ball especially, being able to being able to permanently put something down that's going to lower their armor. I mean, there are ways out of it, um, and it's not so great against a priestess, but just being able to have those counters out there, I mean... You can't use normal means to get rid of them. You have to do something special. Uh, and so they're pretty sweet, too. Yeah, would... yeah, I think the key thing around the Druid is there's so much flexibility. And I think some people look at her and think she might be a one-trick pony. That They look at her and just say, oh, well, she's got vines, she spread vines, and then she spawns creatures from them, and she goes and attacks. And that's not the case. There, There's so many small combos that she can pull off and be very, very different. I mean, we I've, I've probably seen in the last three months four or five different Druid books that are completely different. They may use some of the same creatures and some of the same ideas, 
but the concept of them and what they're trying to do in terms of momentum is completely different. And that's one of the things that I love about her because, like we said at the beginning, if you're a new player and you're starting off with just lining up to a tree and building a strategy off that, there's a lot of different forks in the pathway you can take to make a successful spell book that can handle a good amount of anything that's thrown at it, which is one of the things that I love about the Druid. She's just really flexible. The, the other thing to keep in mind is... So we've mentioned, you know, Acid Ball, Surging Wave, Geyser, and Rust, and those are all level one water spells. Well, there's one we didn't mention so far, and that's Dissolve. Mm. So literally, out of all of the water spells that we have in the game, all of the, you know, solely level one ones are super useful. Like, every one of them is good. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so she has access to all of those, and she's one of only two mages who can get Dissolve without having to pay two spell points for it. So, uh, she, she really hates equipment, and I'm sure when we talk <laughs> more about things that spawn off of vines in a second, um, we'll hit another thing, but she really hates equipment. Oh, are you talking about possibly something that's corrosive? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> that's <It's>... fun stuff. <laughs> definitely yeah, one of my even... favorite cards for her. Yeah, the corrosive orchid is what Aaron's talking about. It's a um, the conjuration uh, that is very inexpensive. It's seven mana. Uh, it's a quick cast. Uh, it has a uh, corrosive mist that is basically a um, acid attack. It's a, it's a two dice attack. And on a 7-plus on the effect die, it uh, is corrode. And it's unavoidable. I think unavoidable is probably the coolest part of the corrosive orchid. Um, and basically what happens is it comes into play with a mist token on it. Uh, the orchid's attack will target a mage, and then at the damage and effect step, you can remove the mist token, choose an equipment object on the mage, and pay its casting cost to destroy the object. So not only are you doing two damage, not only are you corroding the mage that you're attacking, but you're also getting to have a built-in dissolve, <laughs> which is pretty sweet. Oh, now the, and did I mention it's a vine? <laughs> the thing to keep in mind there is it only gets to attack before or after a friendly creature action, so you do have to plan well to use it. Um, you're limited to one in a zone because you cannot attach multiple items of the same name in the same zone. So you can't have more than one corrosive orchid in the same zone. Um, that's that's kind of the, the downside. That's the stuff to remember. The, the upside, um, traditionally the way to keep your equipment safe is to put a nullify on yourself. Uh, nullify does not stop corrosive orchid. So, so nullify specifically right? says... Yeah, Nullify specifically says uh, incantations. Incantations or enchantments. What yeah, about what about something like a... Block? Is would that um... Block doesn't work either because Block doesn't work against unavoidable attacks. Ah. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, unavoidable nice. uh, the, the yeah, best awesome. way to deal with a corrosive orchid is to not be in the same zone with them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or uh, oddly enough, my favorite way is after they've used a corrosive orchid. Um, I hang out in that zone because they can't play another one on me in there. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but but that's the thing, is if there's a, a piece of equipment that is really wrecking your day, 
there is almost no way they can save it. Um, I mean, they might reveal uh, an armor ward and make you pay extra, so keep that in mind. But yep. there, there's no way they're going to flat out tell you no. Um, so it's it's pretty sweet. Um, I'm a big fan of the Corrosive Orchid. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to be mindful of creatures that you still have to activate and uh, placement of vine tokens. Uh, and you have to you have to get it in the zone with the person that you want to uh, uh, to dissolve on. So it's it's a little tricky to use, but its benefits are substantial. Um, and one of my favorite things is that I've uh, I've used it before, um, thrown it down, destroyed an equipment, guy left the zone, but I had dropped it on him when he was in a zone with his spawn point, so then my corrosive orchid kept shooting his spawn point. Um, it didn't kill it, but his spawn point had zero armor, so that was pretty awesome. I, I swooped in and blew it up. But it's a free attack every round. Um, and the last thing to keep in mind is it's a ranged attack. Yep. So they can't counter-strike you. Um, and most importantly, you can shoot things that fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if they have angels hanging out and you really want to corrode them, you can you can spit on them. What a terrible thing There's... to do to an angel. Just spit on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awesome. their fault. They shouldn't be in such a bad neighborhood. That's true, yeah. We've, we've got a couple minutes left. Are there any other must-play must vines um, or vine creatures that we could talk about really quick? Vine um, I do think it's really important to talk about the root, the solely rooted creatures, uh -huh. namely thorn Vine lasher. Snapper and the Thorn Lasher. Thorn Lasher, yeah. yeah. Thorn um, Lasher vine, awesome. vine Snapper, when you look at it, its stats are freaking incredible. Like, it's got huge life. It's got a huge attack. It's got, um, you know, good regenerate. It's missing two things. One is armor, mm -hmm. and the other one is movement. So you have to... You have to be able to pull someone in or or lock them in the zone. Basically, you need to get someone in there so that the this guy can go to town on them. Because uh -huh. he will. Because he's great. Uh, and he's only seven mana. Seven mana for a five dice attack. It's pretty sweet. That is really good. Um, the Thorn Lasher has a one zone ranged attack, and he tries to pull you into him. So the obvious combo is the two of them that you can pull someone in and then go to town on them with a uh, Vine Snapper. Um, like a lot of things with the Druid, timing is tricky, because um, if you do that to someone who hasn't activated yet, the next thing they're going to do is activate, right. walk out of the zone, <laughs> and then you're not going to get to attack them. Right. Um, so keep that in mind. However, the Thorn Lasher is phenomenal for triggering effects when you come into a zone, um, like... If you are a cunning person and you decide to put a spiked pit trap down, um, mm -hmm. they're going to get pulled into the zone, and then you're gonna you're gonna spike pit trap them, um, or yeah. or pull them uh, through a wall of thorns. You can't pull them through a wall of thorns because it blocks line of sight. However, oh, um, segueing okay. into another 
uh, another vine card, Blood Spine Wall. Yep, Blood Spine. Yeah, um, that one is a vine, and it doesn't block line of sight. Um, and you, I've seen people. That does I've quite seen a good amount. Set it up yeah, where they okay. they have two thorn lashers, and they put a uh, one of those walls in between them, and then they just continuously rake the person across them. <laughs> and they like, oh, I'm gonna get bleeds. I'm gonna get damage. Um, so that's great. But those two are very important. Now the thing to keep in mind, um, I should say the other thing that the druid is really great at, and you wouldn't necessarily notice it immediately. She is phenomenal at hampering movement. Her vines hinder. Um, and even if you're elusive, that doesn't mean that you're some sort of crazy. Safari Bushmaster, you cannot in fact get through the vines. You are still <laughs> hindered by them. Um, so she has vines that hinder, and then on top of that, um, her her uh, her vine whip staff lets her sacrifice vine tokens to basically attach them to someone, and she gets you stuck. Uh, so she has a easy way to constantly throw out stuck conditions which helps with her lack of mobility on her creatures. Now the last thing about that is is I guess another obvious thing but it it bears repeating Tangle Vine and Strangle Vine yeah. she, those are both vines she has them, they're amazing um, Tangle Vine especially it's so cheap you can have the vine tree cast it. Yep. Which is hilarious. Now, keep in mind, you have to have a vine token in the zone of the creature that you want to tangle vine. But regardless, the number of times I, you know, start around with, oh, my deployment, I deploy a tangle vine. Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, strangle vine is great, but... Tangle Vine, you can deploy on things preemptively. Preemptively, yeah, can't speak. Preemptively, <laughs> because you want to stop them from doing something. Strangle Vine, you want to wait to the end of the round. You want to wait till the final quick cast, and you want to drop it on something, because the next thing that happens is the start of the next round. It gets a, it gets a crush token, so it's going to be able to deal its damage, and it has that extra life. Once it starts getting extra life, it's it demands a teleport. That's kind of the beauty of that card, is that once it gets going, they can't just go, oh, I'm just going to kill it, unless they have access to a lot of fire, or they teleport. And if you get someone to spend their teleport to get out of a, uh, a strangle vine... I'm down with that, because if they're a wizard, they spent the same number of spell points as you to put that in their spellbook. If they're not a wizard, they spent twice as much. So, I'm down with that. Yep. Anything that forces yeah. your opponent to use something in their spellbook in a way that they didn't plan on it is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and also, with the, number of, with the number of things that can stick people... Uh, that's that's a big deal with the druid. Um, mobility, mobility is her realm to kind of win, um, and it's not because she's good at it. It's because she's going to make you just as inept as she is, <laughs> and then she's going to. It's like 
it's like Order of the Stick. The the dwarf priest is always afraid of the trees walking and killing him, and everyone's like, we don't see them moving, and it's like, oh no, they're moving just really slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. They're totally <laughs> coming to kill you, just really slowly. Um, last thing, flying. Druid has no flying creatures. Druid has very little uh, kind of flying support. You can dip into animals, which are also nature, to get some mm-hmm. anti-flying support. Galador is fantastic in a druid. Yes. Uh, I'm yeah. Seriously, giant, uh, giant stag of death. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Terok is also pretty solid, but he's very specifically anti-flying. The thing to keep in mind is you do have things with reach. You just have to remember what they are, and you have to protect them. Your Vine Whip Staff has reach, so your druid themselves can actually swing on flying creatures. Pralathor has reach. Um, but if you're worried about flying creatures, you can't waste those those tools because you don't have tons of them. They're really good, but you don't have tons of them. Uh, uh, gosh. And now I can't think of his name. The the Sequoian, the giant tree, um, he also has reach. But the problem with him is that not being a vine, he's he's tougher to deploy. You can't use your spawn point. He takes a lot of mana. Um, he is, for all intents and purposes, unkillable. Because if anyone wants to spend time killing something with a boatload of hit points, two armor, and regenerate two, then they're not actually trying to kill you. So I'm down with that. All right. But, and you're talking about uh, Tagora, right? Yes. Okay. Sorry, my brain was spacing there, yeah, and I was no like, worries. yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's Tagora. Um, and Tagora is Tagora is great because he has intercept and vigilance. He's never going to counter strike anyone, but he is pretty much every turn going to try and soak an attack, which is great because like I said unless you have something specifically designed to kill him you're not going to kill him Um, and then I guess the very last thing, I realize I've said that like three times (laughs) there's a a Uh, lot to talk about about (laughs) you're very scared of finite life, finite life scares you Um, two things to keep in mind one like I do with all of my mages, I pretty much always run a force hammer in in my druid because I really, really, really hate Deathlock, and I want to destroy it immediately. Uh, it's part of why I spread across the the arena as fast as I can, so that the minute they drop one, I'm going to drop a creature in its zone and rouse the beast on it the same turn because I do not want it staying around. Secondly, life bond. Um, gets around that. It's a transfer of damage. It is not healing. It is not extra life. So a desperate druid can pile damage on their tree or vice versa while Deathlock is up or while uh, something with fi- you know, finite life is up. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And that's, I guess that's the cliff notes and that being said, hopefully gives you an idea of just how much there is with the Druid. Druid is one of my favorite mages precisely because she has so many moving parts. She mm-hmm. does so many things, um, and she's got so much potential. 
Yeah. And you know, if you ever get stuck, you can just throw a burst of thorns down and blow up your vine. Yeah, I did, I did uh, that. That's a couple how times. I killed Brian in playtesting. <laughs> he, he was doing a he was doing a, a necro wand? and he forgot to put healing in his book, and I seriously stacked like four bleeds on him because he forgot to put healing in. And I'm like, awesome, Brian. Thorns, hey, thorns, thorns. A <laughs> druid running around with a a wand and burst of thorns can be annoying if you're not prepared for it. <laughs> Burst of Thorns is a very solid spell, but that also comes down to you have to be very mindful of uh, where your vine markers are and what yes, you have to put extra vine markers control. out, um, which is the vine tree and the vine whip staff. Both will help you put extra tokens out, but you don't want to waste mana on them if you're not going to need it. So it's a it's a balancing act. It's a quick She's a tricky well. mage to play. She is. I mean, halfway through the game, I remember playing and just thinking like, wow, this is... This is a really unique experience, just, just getting in my hands on her. So I think after this, I'm ready for the rematch. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah, go get them. <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks, guys, for that. I, I know I learned a lot about Druid. I hope everybody listening did as well. So um, as always, we welcome any feedback regarding the show. And you can hit me up at Let's Level Up. Um, you can hit uh, Scott and... Um, excuse me, Aaron, up at uh, Twitter as well, and also on the Arcane Wonders forum. So come by, stop by, say hi, say you like the show. Let us know what you'd like to see next. That would be awesome. So, um, Do you guys have anything to add before we go ahead and close things out? Uh, no, I you know I would love, this is the first time we've gotten back together as all three of us in a couple of shows. So um, I'd love to hear from people as to what they thought about uh, some of the guests we've had. You know, we've had Brian on, we've had Alexander West on. Um, so love to hear feedback from what you guys think about that and suggestions about anyone else that you may like to have us uh, be joined by and, and have discussions on. Aaron? I concur. <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Again, uh, you, this podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. So uh, please tell your friends about the show. If they're interested in learning about Maid Wars, this is a great source for the um, for the new player and the seasoned veteran alike. So we hope you guys are all getting something out of this. Um, and until next time, game on. Play more Mage Wars. <laughs>